Romans chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. This is God's word said, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Without Christ transforming you, you cannot and will not ever apply these verses. We cannot do what these two verses tell us because we are selfish. We are self-focused and so we will not apply these two verses. We don't have the desire, we don't have the will, we don't have the power to apply what these verses tell us to apply. Verse 14 begins by saying, Bless those who persecute you. None of us have experienced the type of persecution that is wrapped up in these words. That is wrapped up for the Christians who first heard this letter. Who first heard these words. The word persecution stung. It ached. It was real. It was close to home. The early church, the language of persecution would have been so near to them. If they themselves had not experienced persecution of some sort, a family member had Perhaps a grandfather, perhaps an uncle, someone who had been pursued and hunted down and and hurt because they had faith in the Lord Jesus. How many countless years did that same feeling apply? Over how many countless countries do people still understand that word persecute and it still stinks? So many places, over so much time, These words have meant pain. In comparison to how we read them now, we don't understand this word persecution. What's amazing is often how ignorant we are in our cushy situation that persecution still exists. And it still exists to a horrifying degree. We don't care or we are ignorant of the current persecution of brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe it's, it's like when you see an advertisement on TV with a child with a fly on his face asking you to give money and you change the channel. If I don't see it, I won't feel it out of sight, out of mind. Maybe that's how we think about our brothers and sisters who are persecuted. But we cannot and must not ignore brothers and sisters who right now who then and ever since then have been persecuted because they love the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a whole list of countries today that persecute Christians. India, Somalia, Afghanistan, North Korea, the list goes on and on. Places that will persecute you if you are a Christian. You will be physically harmed if you hold a Bible, if you pray before a meal, if you try to gather in a church, if you try to have a Bible study, you will be punished. That happens today. This verse is talking about not suffering in general. That talked about that in verse 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. That's suffering in general. This verse is specific. It's persecution. This is not the suffering which falls on Christians and non-Christians alike. Suffering in this world because of the result of the fall. There's natural disasters for Christians and non-Christians. There's cancer for Christians and non-Christians. People are uh, affected by crime, Christians, non-Christians. This is not that sort of suffering. Things that are difficult or trying in life. 
This is a suffering that is pursuing those who love Jesus. People who are doing this out of hatred and nothing else. This is not to say that we do not suffer persecution of any kind, but we just do not suffer it like those who read this did. Like those who first heard these words, this would have stung. Jesus said that persecution would come. It would be a guarantee, a certainty for Christians. He said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. What we're experiencing here now in the West, in our life in North America, is foreign to the Christian life. It's alien. It has not been like this for all of centuries. It's not like this in most other countries. What we have is very odd. And it's not what Jesus said to anticipate. He says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. There will be people who pursue you out of hatred or out of self-love. This persecution can be significant, like in other nations, but it can be subtle. Like here, where they try to refuse uh, Canadian citizens from having the right to see a film. Where they try to tell us that if you say to someone on the street that you think... Uh, a homosexual lifestyle is sinful. You could be charged with a hate crime. You could go to jail in our country. They would give you a slap on the wrist in Canada. But it's still a persecution. It's subtle. Sometimes the, the persecution comes in even slight ways, like someone slandering you. They want to drag your name through the mud. They want to make you out to be a bad person because you are what? A homophobe? Right? They're going to try to make you look like the bad guy. And they might even tell lies to make sure that you don't go unnoticed. Recently there was a pastor arrested in Toronto. He was on the street preaching. He had permission. Uh, he had a permit. All that he needed to get. He was preaching the gospel. And a police officer came up. And it was, it was during the pride parades. And a police officer came up and said, you're causing a disturbance. Because there was people protesting him. A whole bunch of people who were marching in the pride parade came over and were being violent and aggressive towards him. And the police officer said, you are the one who's causing a disturbance. So he went to jail. This is Toronto. This was this march. And, and what's interesting is as you read the police report from that account uh, and you listen to an audio clip that was actually taken, the police officer's report is false. He says that the, the man was hurling insults at the standard at the bystanders. He says that he was yelling at them, that he was being aggressive towards them. So he slandered this man in order to make it worse than it was. Now this is coming. It's coming on you. The people are going to make you more hateful than you are. Who knows what that might mean in five, ten years. Who knows how many of us will have the freedom to say what the Bible says. We certainly don't have much freedom in it now, do we? So sometimes persecution is, is slight, like slander. Other times, it's slaughter. Slaughter. That is a way that Christians are persecuted today. Today, a Christian will be slaughtered because they love Jesus. Slaughtered. Not just slandered, 
Slander really hurts us, right? We, we have a reputation to upkeep. We have a name. We don't want to go to jail. We don't want people to think awful of us. We don't want people, our names in the newspaper. Slander. We don't face slaughter like some do. In 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That verse always makes me stop and think, well, am I not desiring to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? Because it says if I am, then I'll be persecuted. And in North America, part of our problem is we are too much like the rest of the world. We give in to the desires of the flesh. We lower our moral standards to be just a hair above the world so that we still feel okay. But that's not offensive to them. They're not going to throw you in jail for being just a, a little bit better version of them. Am I not desiring to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? Because it says, Scripture says, it promises we will be persecuted. It's amazing here. When persecution does come, whatever the form may be, whether it's slight and slander or whether it's significant and slaughter, this verse tells us this is what it means to be a Christian. This is how Christians are to respond to all types of persecution. When someone pursues you to hurt you because they hate you and they hate your Jesus, you're supposed to respond, it says, by bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. We are commanded not simply to refrain from retaliation. We're commanded not just to don't hurt them back. We're commanded not simply to hold our tongue. We're to go much further than just restraining ourselves. We are to bless them. To bless them. That is to pray for their good. Pray for their health. Pray for their well-being. Pray for their success. Pray that they would have all that they desire. Pray that it would be good for them, that their life would uh, succeed in Christ, obviously, is the major blessing that is wrapped up here. We ought to pray that they would prosper, and we know the only true prospering is in a relationship with Jesus, so we, we ought to pray for them. Someone who is hotly pursuing you because you love Jesus, you ought to wish well for them. Wish well for them. Jesus is the prime example of blessing those who persecute him. It begins with you and me. We persecuted Jesus. When we don't live for Jesus, we persecute him. We drag his name through the mud and say, he's not worthy. He's not the Lord. He's a liar or he's a lunatic. When we did not live for Jesus, we persecuted him. When perhaps you would make sly comments at Christians. Think of what he said to the Apostle Paul who was hotly pursuing Christians. He said, Paul, why do you persecute me? Those who persecute Jesus are not just those who nailed him to the cross. You and I, prior to a relationship with Jesus, persecuted him. And this verse tells us, well, this is what the Christian life looks like. This is how Jesus is to respond. Bless those who persecute you. So Jesus did that. And in and through his persecution, he gave us the greatest blessing. That was salvation for our sins. 
the very ones that were persecuting Jesus and even nailing him to the cross that day, if they would so trust and repent and believe in Jesus, he took their sins upon that cross. He, he blessed those who persecuted. You know, Jesus could have cursed them. He could have called down a legion of angels to come and, and curse and to make the people feel the wrath of God. He could have. But Jesus himself said, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for them. Love them. Wish them well. Bless them. Has someone ever made fun of you? Even in a a jokey way for being a Christian? Thinking you're cheesy? Thinking you're unintelligent? Thinking your position's archaic. People do that all the time, right? They think Christians are fools. The Bible tells us to bless them. Bless them. Love them. Pray for them. Those who persecute you. Someone who's made fun of you. Someone who makes it hard for you because of your faith. Someone who tries to stop you from going to church or having a relationship with Christ. Someone who discourages you. Bless them. One day maybe that persecution is coming. Well, they will try to silence us in their persecution. You can't say those things. They will govern what I say in the pulpit. They will persecute. You say, bless them and pursue Jesus. It was a number of years ago, two years ago, I think, and it was the city of Houston. Uh, the one pastor had been reported for preaching Romans chapter 1, uh, which there talks about the sin of homosexuality, uh, homosexual lifestyle, and he preached the text. And someone reported him to the government and said, look, he's spouting hate, and he's encouraging the people to hate. And so they, they required that he hand over all of his sermons. So he said, all right, here's all my sermons. And then uh, they said, well, you know, we should probably start watching other pastors in this city who are preaching things like this. And so then... All of the pastors in the entire city willingly gave over their sermons and said, you go ahead and listen. <laughs> You'll guess that the government never did anything. But there's a day coming where they will. They will have someone comb through everything that I say, everything that you say, and say, that's hateful. And you need to be punished for it. You can't say those things. And we are told here to bless them. To bless them. And it goes beyond that. Not just bless them. Don't just... Retaliate. It says, bless and do not curse. Do not curse. We are prone to hurting those who hurt us. Or even wishing that they would hurt a little or feel a little bit of that hurt. We are prone to vengeance. That's why it later tells us in this chapter, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Leave it to God. We need to be instructed to that because we are prone to want to take things in our own hands, to to get back at people who hurt us. To make sure they feel that pain. We want that because we are sinful. And this tells us, bless them, do not curse them. Do not wish evil on them. Do not wish harm on them. Do not wish anything but blessing on them. One of the first recorded martyrs, that is someone who died for the faith of Christ, was Stephen. In Acts chapter 7. And as they were stoning Stephen, it says, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen was applying this verse that was not even written down yet. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Stephen was applying the words of the Lord Jesus, and, and Paul here just solidifies it. This is what it means to live as a Christian. You ask that God would bless these people who hurt you, as the first martyr Stephen did. A commentator, John Murray, says, nothing, le- nothing less than the pattern of God's own love and kindness is the norm for us. See what Jesus did. He said from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We're going to follow after the pattern of our loving God. Bless those who persecute you. Bless. That's our job. To, to, to those who are being affected uh, ourselves individually. So it's talking about you. You who are persecuted. Bless them. And then the next verse goes to um, you interacting with others. It says rejoice with those who rejoice. I mean, think about that. <clears throat> celebrate with those who celebrate. And that's hard. It's hard to do when you maybe work your tail off and someone else gets a promotion. When you've saved your money and you've been really careful with it. And someone who has done not a drop of work their whole life wins the lottery. This verse tells us to rejoice for them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. It's mainly talking about those who are in the household of faith. What it means to be in the body of Christ. So when someone gets a good health report and that same day you get a bad one, rejoice with them. When someone's child comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, rejoice with them even though your children hate God. Rejoice. Rejoice. Have, and it's not just like, oh, I'm happy for you. It's not what this verse says. Rejoice with them. Be happy with them. Feel their joy. Celebrate internally yourself. Not just be happy for them. Be happy with them. Are you actually rejoicing when someone else has a true joy in their life? Rejoice with those who rejoice. We are prone to wallow in pity when someone else is elevated or someone else succeeds or something else goes well for someone else. We want to just have someone pity us. Like, well, nothing ever goes right in my life. This verse goes against that. It says, rejoice with them. With them rejoice. And it goes further than that. Because that, that's the easier part, I would say. As much as it's hard because we, we would rather succeed than someone else. When someone else succeeds, we, we rejoice with them. The second half is even harder. It says, weep with those who weep. Could you imagine a kind of uh, love without this sympathy? A kind of love without this sympathy, weeping with those who weep. If it could be called love at all, it would be cold and distant. Yes, I love you, but I don't feel your pain. That's not love. But what's amazing to me is this verse, and applying in the Christian life, among other Christians, is it allows room for weeping. It doesn't say, um, cheer up the person who weeps. 
doesn't say, Shh, point them in a direction so they stop crying. It doesn't say, make sure they uh, aren't in that low place. Now it says, weep with them. Feel the pain with them. God allows for seasons of weeping and times of grief and times of pain. And the solution is not cheer them up. The body of Christ is not supposed to go, well, come on, suck it up. The body of Christ weeps with them, aches with them, feels with them, really represents the presence of God with them. A comforter, one who cares. A person who just wants to help a person escape from weeping doesn't care for that process they're in. But this tells us, no, you've got to care deeply. You gotta, and again, not just weep for them, weep with them. Do you feel the ache of their pain when their son or daughter says to them, I hate you? Do you feel that with them? Do you feel it when, when a person says, I, I tried telling someone about Jesus and they, they rejected me and they said they don't want to ever talk to me again? Do you, do you feel that with them and agonize with them? When someone loses a loved one, do you weep with them? Do you feel their loss? Jesus exemplified this. His dear friend Lazarus, his friend Mary and Martha, they lost their brother. It's amazing. The, the record of this in John chapter 11 says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. Listen, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And he wept. Jesus wept. So the Jews concluded, see how he loved him? He wept with those who wept. It was an evidence of his love for them. He felt their loss. Amazing. He knew what he was about to do in five minutes. But he felt their loss. He was right there with them. You and I, though, are inclined to avoid aching people. We are inclined to steer far clear of people who are in pain. Because we want, you know, we want to just be happy. We want things to be cheerful. We want things to be okay. And so we tend to stay away. Sometimes, and you'll see that most often when people are grieving the loss of a loved one. You don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, so you just don't go. And you don't say anything. You don't call, you don't write, because you don't know what to say. Because it's uncomfortable, and we're just, we're, we're all about comfort, right? And so we say, well, if that's uncomfortable, I'm not going. And then a person who's lost a loved one is alone. Because we are inclined to comfort and ease and cheerfulness, not to weeping. It's, it's sad because then that's the cost of another being left in their pain. The cost of another being left alone and not feeling the physical presence of God in, in His body, in the church, being there with them in their pain. We ought to be more comfortable with weeping, with grieving. We ought not to be careless and heartless and so wrapped up in our own comfort and ease that we avoid those who are weeping. This is not so with the body of Christ. 
In 1 Corinthians 12, 26, it says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. It's pictured the body, right? Like if one member is in agony, if the arm is hurting, the rest of the body feels that pain. Is it so with you and your brothers and sisters in Christ? A major problem we face is the same thing I mentioned last week when it came to us contributing to the needs of the saints. We have to be in each other's lives to know what others need. We admitted that we don't know the needs of those we sit beside in church because we aren't really in their lives. We aren't really in close-knit relationship with them to see their needs without them asking. That's the kind of body that Christ imagines people would be. It's people who contribute to the needs of those who haven't asked because they are so in their lives. They see where the laundry's piling up or where a car is breaking down or where children need to be cared for or where somebody's pinching every penny and overdue on bills. Are you in people's lives to see that, to contribute to that, to help them? Well, we're not, right? And so the same problem is faced here. Oftentimes we're not aware of people's sufferings or of their joys because we're not in our lives as we ought to be. We're not as close as we ought to be. And so this, again, is a call to Christian community. Real, close, genuine, being in each other's lives. This is a call to conversations after church, not about weather. It's a call not to say, um, their problems are not my problems. That is not the call of the Christian. We're to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Are you in each other's lives to know those circumstances? Are we there? Do we have a oneness of body, a partnership for the gospel? Think about how that impacts your ministry. If you're trying to do ministry, do the work that you're supposed to do in serving God, we're supposed to do that shoulder to shoulder with the people God puts in our proximity. Well, if you know nothing about them, you don't know that the sorrow they face this week, the agony they're feeling, then we're, we're, it's a detriment to our service. In this matter of ignorance, is much like our deplorable ignorance of persecution. Not only are we ignorant about the people around us, their joys and their sorrows, so that we might feel with them, we're also ignorant of the persecution people face in other nations. I mentioned earlier there are places in the world today where it is difficult, if not completely dangerous or illegal, to be a Christian. At the top of that list is North Korea. North Korea. And I fear our ignorance has had a negative impact on our implication of weeping with those who weep. When's the last time you wept for a North Korean who might be a believer in Jesus? Right? We're not applying this verse very well. We're not applying uh, verse 14 and praying that they would bless those who persecute them. We don't weep with those who weep because we don't hear the cries. We're ignorant. There was an article called, What is it like to follow Christ in North Korea? I just want to read some highlights for you so you get a picture of what it means to belong to Jesus in North Korea. In North Korea, possession of a Bible is sufficient reason to be sent to a prison camp for the rest of your life. They have... Intrusion into their private life. It includes surveillance of messages, phone calls, emails. 
They listen. In each community, in each neighborhood, there's an appointed leader who is forcibly monitoring uh, her neighbors. She is forced by the government to monitor her neighbors. This consisted of weekly, unannounced inspection of each home to be conducted in the middle of the night. That includes monitoring their income and spending and reporting any suspicious activity to the authorities. They would search their home and punish any violators found with religious materials, conducting religious practices, or even simply saying a prayer over their food. Violators would be tortured in imprisonment camps, and some face execution if they refuse to give up their beliefs. People in North Korea, Christians in North Korea, face a constant fear of friends, of family, that they might find out that they're a Christian. It's interesting, they say that there have been husbands and wives who don't even know the other one's a Christian because they're so afraid that if their spouse finds out that they're going to die. So they keep their faith in Jesus a secret even from their husband or their wives. When authorities do find prohibited religious materials in someone's house or they suspect a person of being a Christian, that person spent in, sent immediately to prison. The prison will include interrogations under torture and solitary confinement. Even those who manage to hide their faith from the authorities are not immediately freed. They are stuck in front of a judge, and if they're found not guilty of being a Christian, they will be sent to a re-education camp. One lady tells a story. She was in a re-education camp for four years. She was a believer, but she, she hid it and was able to stand before a judge, and judge says, I don't find you to be a, a Christian. So then she had to go to this re-education camp for four years. In these camps, there's 12 hours of hard labor a day, malnutrition, poor sanitation, and dehumanizing living conditions. On the way to that camp, those people who are set there are forced to divorce their husband or wife so that they can be isolated and solitary. Those who do confess to follow Jesus are sent to notorious North Korean political prison camps. Their physical abuse, sexual assault is a regular routine. Death by summary executions, torture every day. And these are, uh, there comes death by starvation, disease, poor sanitation, and forced labor. Every single day because someone said, yes, I love Jesus. Right now, there are 75,000 North Korean Christians in one of these prisons because they were found guilty of being a Christian. 75,000 who are being beat every day, told to reject Jesus, who are being assaulted every day because they love Jesus, because he's, he's all the world to them, to live as Christ to them. And this Bible passage says that they ought to bless those who persecute them. And it tells us to weep with those who weep. Do you feel the agony of a North Korean Christian? Weep with those who weep. This Bible verse is meant to apply to us not just in our families, not just in our church community, but across the world. 
we are meant to rejoice with those who rejoice. So I think daily, on a regular basis, daily, you should thank God that He has saved a soul today. He has. Somewhere in the world, God is saving someone. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. But also, spend time to weep. Weep with those who weep. Christians who are having a hard time to bless those who persecute them. Pray for them. We ought to spend time practicing this, practicing this with the very people that God has put in front of us. Can you weep with the person who sits beside you? Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Spend time to feel with others. Experience joy with them when they do. When they ache, be not only there for them, but weep with them and ache with them too. This verse is so easy to apply but yet so hard. It's easy to understand. Bless those who persecute you. Okay, don't retaliate. I get it. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Yeah, that's easy to understand. Weep with those who weep. Yep, understandable. But to apply it, it's hard. Because you and I are selfish. We want to live to ourselves. So may God, may God humble us And look outside of ourselves for five minutes today and for 50 minutes tomorrow and beyond. Let's pray. Well, God, we want to reflect you because you are perfect and you are holy and you are awe-inspiring. So God, we want to be like you and we know that we cannot do this without your help. God, we are a selfish people. We don't have the will or the desire to do this without you in us. So God, I pray that you would transform our hearts. That you would come. That you would show us how we see this perfect example in Jesus of blessing those who persecuted him, even to death on the cross. God, we thank you for his death. We thank you that it was for our sin that he took it upon himself. So that if we would just trust in Him, we may be saved. We may be forgiven. We may have our guilt wiped clean of all the times we've been selfish. God, forgive us. And forgive us again for not being in each other's lives. To rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Oh God, we want to do this better because we know it is Your will. We know it brings glory to You. We know it's how You strengthen Your people for your mission. So God, would you help us? Would you help us to bless those who persecute us? Would you help us to rejoice with those who rejoice? Would you help us all the more to weep with those who weep? God, we want to do it for your honor and your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.